Hello and welcome. Thank you for downloading this week's Sermon and Prayers of Intercession from the English Reformed Church Amsterdam. We hope you will enjoy what you are about to hear and that you will be blessed. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. What on earth is the church for? Do please tell me why are we here? Does it matter in the least that people who call themselves Christians attend church? Can't you be a perfectly good Christian without ever going near the place? Well, I expect that on some Sunday mornings, Those might be questions that press in upon your mind as a particularly dull sermon or particularly dire hymns lead you to ponder, haven't I got better things to do? And there are any number of reasons that we might give for deciding that whatever we might think about God or Jesus, the church is a bad thing. There are historical reasons for a start. If we were to put the church and its behavior throughout history on trial, there are plenty of charges that we could bring against it. Abuse of power, prejudice, oppression, etc., etc. We know all that. Is it any wonder that today Despite many people being opened to what might loosely be called spirituality, there is widespread suspicion, if not downright hostility, to organized religion, by which people often mean the church. But if there are historical reasons for giving a thumbs down to the church, there are theological reasons as well. Well, to put it differently, the church has done itself no favors at all by failing to articulate a clear theological reason for its own existence. It has written itself out of its own script. And let me explain what I mean. When I do my Exploring the Faith course, which I will be soon embarking upon once again, I begin by going through the story that is told in the early chapters of the Bible. What the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis describe in story form is a world that was created good, but that has gone badly wrong. As you read through those chapters, things just get worse and worse until they reach a decisive point in Genesis chapter 11. And following, having followed this account of the world's descent into violence and defiance of God, I ask the question, so what does God do in response? What does God do to remedy this world that has gone so badly wrong? And inevitably, someone says, as you might say, God sent Jesus 
to save us. He came to forgive us and to save us by His death and resurrection. Now, it's hard to begin to show how that is such a complete travesty and distortion of the story that the Bible tells. But for our purposes this morning, let's get this. That version of the story misses out a crucial part of the story. Because, yes, indeed, God did send Jesus to bring us salvation. But that is a long, long way down the line and a long, long way beyond Genesis 11. God's immediate response to the mess that is described there is what? Well, it is to raise up a people. A people who are descendants of Abraham, who are called to live under God's rule and to demonstrate to the world the liberating, humanizing effect of living together as the people of God. God's response to a world gone wrong is to raise up a nation, a people, whose life exhibits to the world the way we have been created to live. And that leads to the story of Israel, not an entirely happy story, and eventually, a long way down the road, it takes us to one particular Israelite, Jesus, and from there it leads us to the church, the new Israel. If you want to follow up that story, sign up for the Exploring the Faith course. But all this also takes us to our reading from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, from which we read earlier. Because this is a community here in Corinth that was, or at least had been, fulfilling that calling of demonstrating to the world what life under God's rule looked like. Corinth was a fairly typical Mediterranean seaport of its day. In previous times, it had been associated with sexual excess. Sounds familiar. But in Paul's time, it was probably pretty typical. It was a site of pagan worship, adorned with magnificent statues of gods and goddesses in public places, as with other cities in the ancient Greco-Roman world. But in the midst of this bustling city, a community had been birthed through the labors of a man called Paul, and in that community, something different was happening. Here in a marketplace crowded with gods and deities, Jesus was proclaimed as Lord of them all. And because Jesus was proclaimed as Lord, radical things were happening in that church community, things that challenged the life of Corinth. For a start, in Corinth's stratified and hierarchical society where rich men sat at the top of the heap, here in the church, 
a spectrum of different socioeconomic classes, ranging from prosperous household heads to household slaves. They all gathered together under the lordship of Jesus. Men and women, rich and poor, slave and free, and together they found a new way of life that broke the mold of Corinth. And in that community, people who were disempowered by society, women and slaves, were being empowered. As Paul writes, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, nobody there was dispensable or passive or marginalized, as was common in the top-down civic life of Corinth. Everyone, everyone was discovering that they had a contribution to the common good. That's church. Salvation is not a solo act. We actually need one another in our diversity and difference if we are to experience salvation and share in it. And so Paul goes on in this chapter to speak of the body of Christ as made up of many members. Christ existing as community, and therefore salvation experienced in community. The church then is central to the gospel. The body of Christ is key to God's strategy for bringing salvation to the world. So let's explore just a little further why this is so often not recognized. And partly there's a problem here with the way religion is conceived. Archbishop William Temple once commented that religion is what you do with your solitude. And salvation is therefore often pictured in terms of me in my individual relation with God, an understanding that was furthered in the 16th century Reformation. It's all about me and my God. Well, it's not. Salvation is about belonging to a community that embodies the reign and rule of Christ and that offers a challenge to the world that, like Corinth, is in hock to other gods. But this individualistic turn fits well with our highly individualized society. Back in 2000, a political scientist by the name of Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone, which was basically about the collapse of community in the USA, but what he writes applies beyond America, and I believe it is still relevant today. Putman talked about social capital, by which he meant 
the resources for improving society that reside in networks and gatherings of citizens. Trade unions, churches, parent-teacher associations, political parties, veterans associations, etc., etc. Now, all of these have seen a vast reduction in membership in recent times, indicating that people no longer want to belong together in this way. Putnam took bowling as his prime example. Though the number of people bowling has increased in recent years, the number of people who bowl in leagues has decreased. People prefer bowling alone. Now, Putnam blamed particularly the effects of television and the internet for this decline in social intercourse and community which once enriched society, social capital. Putnam has been criticized inevitably for underestimating other forms of community that have emerged through the IT revolution, especially social media. And that raises massive questions about the nature of community and indeed the future shape and form of the church. Will the future belong to virtual church, gathering together online and in chat rooms for worship and Bible studies, as of course happens already. Can that be church? Is it compatible with being the body of Christ in whom God has become flesh and blood and touch? You may sense my prejudice, but that discussion is for another occasion. I want, however, to take further this idea of church as social capital, as a resource for input to society, for challenging wrongs and supporting the vulnerable. We heard earlier that the night before last, a group of about ten of us from this church went to The Hague, where we spent the early hours of Saturday morning offering up continual seven-hour worship in a church there, supporting a family who are threatened with deportation. As long as worship is being conducted in the church, they have sanctuary and are safe and cannot be removed, and so we were helping that along. Now, whatever the rights and wrongs of that particular case, that is a very good example of the church as social capital, a resource for input and influence for the common good and so-called ordinary church members find they have gifts and energies to offer, and they are not as powerless as they might otherwise feel, and varieties of gifts emerge. And in the course of many years of ministry, I have been blessed to be part of church 
communities that have mobilized in response to all kinds of pressing social issues. Unemployment, young people at risk, addiction, homelessness, refugees and asylum seekers. These are the social issues of our day. And as so-called ordinary people, we feel so powerless to do anything, but as a church we are not. And with the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord on our lips, and with the Holy Spirit anointing and animating us, what resources we have at our disposal. So I have sympathy with those who decry organized religion and reject the church. They have good reason. But I only have so much sympathy. Thank God for the church with all its faults. I thank God for the social capital that it offers and the way I've seen that used for the good as on Saturday morning. I thank God that in a world of competing gods and lords, I belong to a community that proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord. And I give thanks that salvation is not just about me and God, but it's about meeting God in people who are different from me and who hold different views and different theologies and different spiritualities. And thank God our church is one like that. I thank God that in God's great plan of salvation for the world, the people of God, the holy nation with all our faults, we have a central strategic place. And I thank God for calling me and you to be members of it. Amen. Let us bring the concerns of our hearts to God. Let us pray. Loving God, in the midst of the world, you have placed your church, the holy nation, called to live under your rule, called to live out the politics of your kingdom. We are the body of Christ, made up of many members. Keep us faithful to that calling. May we be a place where all are welcomed where all find expression for their gifts, where all are being changed into the likeness of Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. In this week of prayer for Christian unity, we pray that the church worldwide would be one body, united in diversity. We pray especially for the churches around us, on the Spau and the Singal, for the Lutherans, the Mennonites, the Roman Catholics, and, the, and for the Bekhinov Kapel across our yard. We thank you for our fellowship together, and we ask your blessing on their pastors and priests and for all their members. May we together bear witness here to our Lord and Saviour. Lord, in your mercy. Loving God, bless your world this morning. 
Once more, we pray for the United Kingdom as it struggles for unity and consensus. Once more, we pray for the USA in its partial government shutdown. And we pray too for Zimbabwe and the unrest there as it faces restrictions and shortages. Guide and direct our world leaders. Give them wisdom and a yearning for right, justice and peace. Lord, in your mercy. And living God, draw near, we pray, to all in special need this morning. We pray for the anxious and the troubled, those for whom the future is uncertain, those who are struggling with poverty or hardship, those whose faith is being tested. May they know the support of the community of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, and may they find strength and peace. Lord, in your mercy. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.